Texas must really become ground zero for the political fight over um, illegal immigration. Welcome to America in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. If you have not already, we ask you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast so you don't miss any new episodes of America in Focus. Now, here's your host, Dan McCaleb. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to the America in Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. America in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. Joining me again today is Casey Harper, Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief for the Center Square. We're recording this on Friday, July 8th. Casey, a lot's been going on at the southern border this week. <clears throat> Several border judges in this in Texas issued declarations of an invasion at the border. And Governor Greg Abbott later in the week uh, authorized the Texas National Guard and the Texas Department of Public Safety to apprehend foreign nationals who eagerly, illegally crossed the Mexican border into the U.S. and return them to the border. Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, in my home state of Texas, a lot is going on. It's really become... Um, ground zero for the political fight over um, illegal immigration, due in large part to uh, Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott. Of course, you know, other border states have been somewhat involved and Ron DeSantis has managed to really jump in this fight. But Texas has really, you know, become the the primary um, place where this political battle is playing out on a very real issue that's impacting people, which is, you know, migration across the southern border. And Um, Just a little bit of context, illegal immigration has absolutely soared uh, since Biden took office. So Biden almost immediately on taking office changed some, uh, you know, some of the policies around how they could catch people, what they could do to stop them. One that wasn't reported on very much, though it was at (laughs) thecentersquare.com, is that um, Biden changed the rules for um, ICE officials, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So um, ICE officers cannot you know they have can only really go after the illegal immigrants who have a, a bad criminal record a violent criminal record or something um not just you kind of run of the run of the mill illegal immigrants uh, and i think words gotten out about that that's a, a small agency level change that's actually i think had a big impact on this um there's just um also the the changes to title 42 which we've covered extensively uh, during COVID, uh, Trump was really able to crack down more when he was in office on um, who was able to come into the country across the southern border in the name of COVID. Some said he just used COVID uh, as an excuse to crack down on the border. That, that may or may not be true. But um, regard, uh, regardless, the numbers under the Trump administration did were much lower than what we've seen um, in what we've seen since Biden took office. And even in May, you know, U.S. border arrests hit a record high in May, according to data. This is like this publicly available data. Um, We're seeing, you know, millions of people coming across the border. We're seeing record high arrests. You know, we saw that very noteworthy or very tragic, um, the death of all the people on the vehicle um, that was tied to immigration. And so, you know, you're seeing a lot of things happen. Uh, it's only gotten worse since Biden took office, and it, it's it's brought. That's the context on which all of this, um, you know, talk about invasions. If you don't live in Texas, if you don't follow this issue, this may feel out of coming, like it's coming out of nowhere to you. But actually, uh, this has been brewing for a long time. And in these border communities in Texas, and it's not just the border communities; it's, it's several hundred miles north, and it, it's a national 
issue because um, uh, under President Biden, uh, Border Patrol has been releasing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants in their community with a notice mm-hmm. to appear in in um, immigration court. Of course, a lot of them don't show up, but they, they, these, most of them, like over 90 percent don't show up. Yeah. And then they uh, these folks disappear in the communities. Not all. Certainly not all. Some have criminal um, backgrounds. Texas sheriffs um, and, and and county governments have said uh, crime has increased, particularly on in border um, counties. Now, border security and illegal immigration is, is, is uh, generally it's a federal issue. Um, but as you mentioned, uh, Governor Abbott um, has f- f- felt because of uh, Biden's open border policies that tech, the state of Texas has had to do more. This, um, the Texas legislature has appropriated billions of dollars to border security efforts. Um, last year, um, Abbott launched Operation Lone Star uh, in an attempt to have state um, officials uh, aid Border Patrol in securing the border and apprehending illegal immigrants. But many, particularly conservatives in Texas, feel that uh, despite uh, all of his efforts, that Abbott is not doing enough. And that's where this invasion declaration comes from. Um, um, If enough uh, state officers declare an invasion, they feel that the Constitution gives them the authority to do even more um, from a state standpoint, as opposed to a federal standpoint, um, uh, to secure uh, the southern border. And that's where this invasion declaration comes from. Um, Six county judges this week have declared an invasion, urged uh, uh, Governor Abbott to do so as well. Governor Abbott has not gotten that far, has not taken that step to declare uh, an invasion at the southern um, border. But uh, many of his uh, many of conservatives in Texas want him to do so. But what he did this week is authorize um, Texas National Guardsmen, Texas State Police to um, apprehend immigrants and return them to the border. Previously, uh, they've been uh, turning them over to Border Patrol agents. And under President mm-hmm. Biden, as we've said, Border Patrol agents process them, but then in many cases um, release them into uh, Texas um, communities. So this is, this is a brewing battle, essentially, between the state of Texas. There's a battle within Texas between um, uh, Governor Abbott and, and um, his more conservative critics, but between the state of Texas and the federal government. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how this plays out. It is. It is indeed. And this, uh, you know, we try to always bring things back to the the average person, the average taxpayer. Um, this may be an easier issue to ignore if you live in, you know, Seattle, far away from the border or New York state or something. But, um, you know, there's this has very real impacts um, on those who live in these border states, especially the border communities who can have, you know, just I mean, you you may have seen the stories and of people who, who live on the border who just have thousands of people walking through their yard. I mean, you know, there are ranchers who just uh, their ranches aren't really safe anymore because there's so many um, people coming across. And, uh, you know, I've written recently about how this has also tried to really, um, you know, drug epidemic in the U.S. and how, you know, we've seen a rise in immigration uh at the same illegal immigration at the same time that we've seen a rise in overdose deaths. And, you know, I talked to some experts, particularly from fentanyl, 
fentanyl, yes. And fentanyl is coming across the southern border in droves. I mean, that's documented. That's any law enforcement expert to tell you that. And, you know, I talked to a former head of Border Patrol for a story um, recently, and, and he said that their strategy at the border, the cartels, what they do is they'll send across a flood of just regular people across the border. Um, and then those, you know, people who, who go across at a certain point, like they will all the border um, border patrol agents will catch them, whatever, take them back to processing for hours. And uh, that first wave, um, just of regular people, uh, distracts and dilutes the resources of border patrol. And once that section is, you know, very thinly um, defended by border patrol because they're all back processing the people they caught, then the cartels will send the drug mules across. And this is what the head of border patrol, former head of border patrol told me that the first wave is just regular people to distract border patrol. And the second wave is all the drug, drug mules who are, you know, carrying fentanyl into the U S. So, um, they're, you know, the cartels are being very strategic. Yeah. And then fentanyl does just doesn't impact border communities that gets delivered across the country. You were seeing fentanyl related overdose deaths, um, pretty much in every state, uh, in America. Um, so it is, that's why this is a very national, uh, problem and national concern. Yeah, absolutely. And overdose overdoses are higher and higher. It's hitting, um, going back to everyday people. I mean, so many people, and I'm sure many of our listeners either have a family member or a family friend, someone they know who's been either addicted to fentanyl or overdose. You know, we see it in the news all the time. It's a real issue. Um, And so all this is kind of swirling together to make this perfect storm um, where more and more governors are coming together and saying, you know, hey, it's the federal government's responsibility to secure the border and they're not doing it. Whatever we're doing now, is not working. And so you're seeing growing consensus, you know, states like Texas are leading the way, but you know, it's not just Texas. A lot of other states have voiced their support for a lot of what Texas is doing to kind of address this and get the federal government to do more to to solve this problem. All right, we'll keep paying attention uh, to what's going on at the border, Casey, but let's move on. Uh, as, as I said, we're recording this on Friday morning, July 8th. Uh, Just uh, less than an hour ago, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, released its uh, second quarter jobs report, and um, more jobs were added than expected. That's right. Uh, The Bureau of Labor Statistics released its jobs report this morning, as you said. And of course, it's quickly up on the centersquare.com. Dan, just want to point that up. That nice job turning that around there, Casey. You actually did a little work this morning. Oh, actually, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, So... Uh, the U.S. economy added 372,000 jobs last month, which uh, was more than expected. Um, the unemployment rate's about 3.6%. That's like the fourth month in a row. It's been there. You know, big job gains were in uh, like business services, leisure, hospitality. Some of that is probably attributable to just the summer months. But healthcare also saw um, big gains. And so, uh, you know, another thing, though, that we've written about this week is there's this really interesting um, gap between the number of Americans who are seeking work and the number of available jobs. So we're actually near record, near a record gap where there's almost two available jobs for every one American who's seeking work. So there's currently 5.9 million unemployed Americans. And just as an aside, unemployed, there's many more Americans who aren't working, but unemployed is a more narrow definition of people who want to work, who are in the workforce, who are actively looking for jobs, you know, um, a stay at home mom, 
who's not looking for a job is not considered unemployed. Right. So there's 5.9 million unemployed Americans seeking work and there's 11.3 million available jobs. And so this gap is really interesting. You know, we've talked a lot about people who have quit their jobs and are not returning to work. We've talked about some of the government incentives in the first year of the Biden administration, how people were actually practically paid not to work because the COVID era um, unemployment benefits were so generous that many people could actually make more money not working and taking the benefits than getting a minimum wage job. So that kicked in where I also, you know, I'm seeing anecdotally that a lot of people were just eating into their savings right now. You know, they coasted that, you know, through the COVID benefits and they're eating into their savings. Maybe they're doing a little gig work. Maybe they're trying to start a little side business, but um, for whatever reason, we have a lot of available jobs and not as many Americans um, who are filling them. And of course, we're still at 40 year high uh, inflation, gas prices, which we'll talk about here in a, in a minute, um, have trickled down, um, but they're still um, heavily inflated, um, um, which is causing, you know, Americans to cut back on other spending. So the, the, the economy is, is um, far from in good shape. Of course, the GDP decreased. There was negative growth in the U.S. economy in the first yes. quarter. We'll be getting second quarter GDP information in the coming um, days, I would expect. Um, if there, if GDP shows a negative growth again in the second quarter, that's really the definition of a recession. And who knows what that could mean for the U.S. economy. Yeah, actually, the, the initial um, estimates, I think it was from the New York Federal Reserve, uh, it was one of the, the, the regional Federal Reserves already predicted um, GDP decrease um, in the second quarter. So that's an official source already predicting, which, as you said, would be the technical definition of a recession. So I think it's very fair um, to expect. I think it was like a 1% dec- you know, decrease somewhere in that neighborhood in GDP, which would be a recession. Um, the economy actually shrinking for what would be six months, um, six consecutive months, which you know, it's, it's pretty incredible given just the trillions and trillions of dollars that were poured into the economy um, in the last couple of years uh, to prop it up. Just so quickly see a recession is is not good. We do see some conflicting factors. I mean, there's, you know, more jobs were added this month than expected. There are some good signs, but some of the top level big indicators like inflation, um, like the national debt uh, and like the GDP are, are definitely... Um, definitely worrisome. And you point out the GDP numbers. I'll say, you know, we also wrote about um, 46 out of 50 states saw a decrease in GDP in the first three months of this year. So nearly every state saw a decrease in their GDP. There are a few exceptions in those states, which did see uh, growth, like, you know, like Michigan, it was very, very small growth. I mean, um, you know, often less than 1%. So, um, this is not, you know, just a few states having a bad time. This is nationwide, um, and it's impacting everyone. Well, we'll be following your reporting uh, on that when the the second quarter GDP um, uh, data is released. But the, again, let's move on. More to talk about uh, Casey. <clears throat> Republicans battle with the Biden administration over um, issues such as equity uh, and this creation of a new position that Republicans are crook. Uh, calling a woke czar. Uh, they've been heating up uh, again. Tell us about this. Yeah, this is part of, you know, we've been we've reporting a lot about um, this ongoing battle of federal funding for more socially liberal policies. You know, I had some big stories about 
federal funding through via grants for teachers to teach, you know, to learn critical race theory, K through 12 teachers, you know, um, I, you know, we've written about different ways that agencies and, and, you know, our listeners, taxpayer dollars are being used to fund things, which I would consider kind of social policies. They're beyond the scope of what we would normally think an agency would do. And so I do think this, you know, this is a really interesting story. In this case, it's the State Department. Um, you may think that the State Department's about building relationships with other countries and doing things. And of course, that's, you know, the primary focus. But the House Oversight Committee Republicans are kind of leading this charge against a new position that uh, President Joe Biden has, you know, appointed. And um, it's a special representative for the State Department's, quote, equity action plan. Um, so equity is definitely like a buzzword that, that can mean a lot of things, but it usually means it usually has to do with, um, you know, racial, gender, sexual orientation, um, um, liberal social policy, and really trying to encourage, coerce, coax other nations around the country to cuff, to fall into line with um, progressive ideology on things like gender, which are still really controversial in the U.S. and especially on gender, I think. Uh, you know, on race, there'd be more agreement, but a lot of the the gender policies that are playing out in the schools, uh, things like that are, you know, very controversial. The country's very split on it, um, but the State Department is pushing it global. Um, so in a State Department video for the rollout of this position, um, the new appointee, you know, talked about a whole of government approach to advancing equity by centering it in our foreign policy. And that's really brought up one of the major criticisms we've seen from Republicans is like, is why is advancing equity um, and gender equity central to our foreign policy? Shouldn't it be, you know, protecting American interests? Shouldn't it be American economic interests and national security interests that are central to our foreign policy? And um, are we are we sacrificing those areas to advance the more progressive social agenda? Right. It's not like um, the world, not just the U.S., but mm -hmm. the world is facing a number of major issues. Russia's mm -hmm. war in Ukraine, of course, is still going on. That's impacting um, food and oil because uh, Ukraine and Russia are, are big um, exporters of things like wheat and Russia, of course, uh, yeah. oil. We just talked about the, the U.S.-Mexico border, the, the, the number of problems that, uh, that we're facing there, 40-year um, high inflation, supply chain issues. So, yeah, right. why are these – essentially the pushback is why are these becoming priorities um, and of course, let's also mention uh, this new position, um, equity position, uh, comes in the wake of uh, the, the Department of Homeland Security creating yes. this disinformation governance board, mm -hmm. which also receives significant criticism and pushback um, from Republicans. It just it, it seems like we we have enough priorities as it is. Why is the Biden administration forcing this other stuff? Yeah, and it plays into like a bigger. I think what we've seen as a strategy for. Um, President Biden, since he's taken office, you know, he's had a, has a very gridlocked, um, divided Congress. He hasn't been able to pass many, you know, major, um, policy reforms other than a couple, you know, big spending bills to respond to COVID. You know, he called on Congress to, uh, you know, nuke the filibuster to pass his voting rights bill. It didn't happen. He called on him to nuke the filibuster to pass some kind of abortion law in the after, you know, in the, in the wake of Roe v. Wade's um, overturn, overturning by the Supreme Court, it didn't happen. So he hasn't really, Congress doesn't really want to work with him um, on a lot of this stuff. And, and so he he's kind of taken this tack of using his executive orders and 
the federal agencies he oversees to be really aggressive. And then if the Supreme Court overturns it, then the Supreme Court overturns it. So we saw that with the eviction moratoriums. The White House explicitly said that they felt their eviction moratorium probably wasn't constitutional, but they did it anyway. And then the Supreme Court said, yes, that was not unconstitutional and overturned it. I think that's the best example of they just do it anyway. And if it's if it's overreached, then the Supreme Court will kind of slap our wrist and we won't be able to do it. But we're going to move fast. We're going to move quick and, and do the things that we want to do, even if, if it's beyond what we're you know supposed to do. And so uh, the eviction moratorium is kind of a tidy little example of that. But I think we see that with um, the disinformation governance board. It's kind of those things that, you know, they want to address um, disinformation around things like the election probably. And so they created a board with some law enforcement power, which is really scary to a lot of people. You know, um, there's always been a concern since the DHS was created that its powers would be used to spy on monitor, um, intimidate American citizens. I mean, that's since both parties, you know, Democrats were very worried about that um, when DHS was created uh, than have been since. So this is a, you know, Concern over DHS overstepping is not a partisan issue at all. It just depends on who's in power. In this case, it's Republicans more upset because there's a Democratic administration creating a kind of free speech regulation board <laughs> through DHS, which is kind of a worst nightmare, worst case scenario that we've seen in, in the minds of a lot of libertarians, civil libertarians, people like that. So i to say, this is part of what I think Biden's resorted to, which is over leveraging his agencies because he can't get much done otherwise. Well, let's let's bring it back to um, an issue that um, pretty much every American has concerns about, and that's gas prices. After uh, the the cost of an uh, uh, the average cost of a gallon of gasoline in the U.S. Um, breached the five dollar mark across the country last month, it has ticked down. It's uh, looking at AAA's uh, gas prices index right now. It's down to four seventy two, which still is nearly double um, what gas prices were when President Biden took office. But a new poll this week you reported on Casey shows that Americans um, are still concerned about gas, the, the cost of gasoline, and they expect uh, higher gas prices uh, this year. That's right. All- all the polling, and I've and I've read a lot of these polls, I've written about a lot of them. Across the board, Americans are pretty pessimistic about the economy, especially in the next year. Um, you know, different leaders can give different analysis and speeches, but ultimately Americans are are not impressed and they're not optimistic. So this is a, you know, this is another good example. Rasmussen Reports released a poll which found that 59% of those surveyed say it's very likely they'll be paying more for a gallon of gas six months from now than they are today. Um, of course, that comes as gas prices have hit record high the last few weeks. They've passed $5 a gallon for regular gas nationwide. Now they've kind of dipped back down a little bit. Despite that dip, Americans are not hopeful that this is some ongoing trend and they're going to keep going down. They expect uh, to be paying more. Um, and so, you know, I think that this is really indicative. And there's also a Monmouth uh, poll, which found that the number of Americans who are financially struggling has increased by double digits in the past year. So people who say, I am struggling big time, uh, I am having a hard time, is increased significantly. And they point to inflation. Um, and gas prices as the top problem. So the inflation and gas prices are top of mind for American families. Um, and this isn't just for poor Americans. That was interesting to me. 
um, it found that even those Americans who are making, you know, will be considered above average salary are struggling. So 58% of those earning less than 50,000 say they're struggling. Okay. But 35% of those earning 50 to a hundred thousand say they're struggling, which is up 15 points and 28% of those earning more than a hundred K, which is up 18 points also said they're struggling. So this is a, it's also across, you know, racial and ethnic lines. This is across salaries, so it does vary some, but this is a, a nationwide thing. This is all Americans. Um, they're reporting, Hey, these, this inflation, this gas prices is, is hitting all of us now. Yeah. And as you previously reported inflation and the, the high cost of gasoline is, is affecting Americans, um, uh, purchasing habits, um, cutting back on going out to eat to restaurants that of course affects restaurants and restaurant workers, um, buying generic, um, um, uh, brand or the cheapest brand um, uh, uh, products that they that they can find in grocery stores, um, cutting back on uh, all kinds of spending that will also have immediate mm-hmm. and future impacts on the economy. Absolutely. It's a domino effect. You know, when people come back, I mean, you may remember when George Bush said it was our patriotic duty, patriotic duty to spend more money to stimulate the economy and kind of taking some flack for that sense. But it illustrates the principle, which is the more Americans are able to spend the more that uh, the economies around them are um, able to benefit, it's just kind of common sense that if uh, you're, uh, if a whole you know a whole town is tightening their budget and stops uh, you know going out to eat as much um, because prices are higher, then all the local restaurants are going to suffer. When the restaurants suffer, they lay off workers. When those workers don't have paychecks anymore, they're not able to spend as much money, and so it has this domino effect. Um, and the same is true when the economy is growing. More money means more money for everyone because, you know, velocity of money increases and everything. So all this is really tightly interconnected. That's why sometimes it's hard to say exactly how well the economy is doing and what's happening. But we do our best to kind of read between the lines. And right now, um, Americans' consumer confidence, their, you know, outlook on the next six months to a year uh, is is not is not good. <laughs> Right. And as we've, as we've talked about previously as well, um, it is midterm election year. Um, so how these um, concerns that Americans face over the economy, over inflation, over the price of gasoline, all those things combined, how it's going to impact them when they go to the polls um, come November. But that's all the time we have this week. Uh, Casey, thank you for uh, our listeners. You can find all of the Center Square's podcasts at americastalking.com. Take a look. Please subscribe. There is no cost. This has been the America in Focus podcast. For Casey Harper, I'm Dan McCaleb. We'll talk to you next week.